Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Rod Anderson. Well, good evening, everyone. And as you've already heard, my name is Rod Anderson, and I want to thank you for your very generous and warm welcome that you gave me a little earlier. I want to thank you for Joel, my MC here, who always does a very fine job. And I'm delighted that you've chosen to be here tonight because this potentially could be the very best decision that you have made in your entire life. Now, I know that that is a big statement, but the experience of others who have come to similar programs that I've presented is that they've said after the event that this has been the best decision that they've made and it's actually helped them in many ways. So I'm glad that you're here. here. And as I say, it could be a very, very fortuitous event that you've actually signed up for here. Now there is a term that you're going to hear me say quite often and that is the truth has nothing to fear from investigation. Now, we've got the two screens here on either side, but you'll see every text that I put up, you're going to see all the information, all the references, and all the quotes that I use. But this term, the the truth has nothing to fear from investigation. And the reason why I've included this is because I want you to check everything that I say. I want you to check my references. I want you to check my Bible text. I don't want you to take my word for anything here at all. I want you to be able to say, okay, what Rod is sharing with us is squaring up with the Bible. His historical sources are, uh, are accurate. And other quotes that he used are right on the money. All right, so... Well, you're probably wondering yourself why you've actually made the effort to be here. Well, you've seen the advertising, but you know, one of the reasons that we're here is because our world is changing so rapidly. And you don't need me to tell you this. You know, the nations are angry. There seems to be civil unrest on every side. And the family unit is being redefined. We know that now with the current trend in society. And uh, consequently, the traditional family values are being rewritten in a way that generations past would never have recognized them. We think about the church. The church has lost its ability today to challenge society and uh, parts of the Western world, actually the church is viewed as anachronistic, outdated, irrelevant today. And when we think about crime and violence, we think about immorality, they're all criming, we have to admit that. And uh, let's face it, uh, we've descended so low in our estimation of justice of fair play, of uh, fair-mindedness, that uh, when politicians tell lies today, nobody even raises an eyebrow. Nobody even complains because it's expected now. Actually, you know, the true definition of a conspiracy theory today is when a politician tells the truth. Let's face it. The world is changing. People tell lies and nobody walks these days. It's just to be expected. When situations are misrepresented, it's to be expected. And in 10 years' time, our world is going to be as different to us today uh, if you were to ask somebody living in 1960 to describe the world in which we live now. Did you understand what I said? 
In other words, if you asked a person in 1960 to identify and, and to explain what the world looked like today, that's how quickly the change are going to happen in our world over the next 10 years, and they're going to happen much quicker than any person can imagine. If you think about it, the last 10 years have been a period of unparalleled scientific advance. It has been the age of flight, it's been the age of the atom, microwave technology, wireless technology is all there, laptop computers, mobile phones, uh, wireless communication, etc. Increase is increasing at an incredible rate. And it has been said by many that the accumulated pool of wisdom in this world, or the accumulated pool of knowledge in this world, doubles every 13 to 15 years. That's astounding. That's mind-blowing when you think about it. We live in an era of unprecedented change. And the question that I want to ask you is, how are you coping with all these changes? How are you coping with the competition of just surviving in this world when thousands and thousands of people have their electricity cut off every year now because people cannot pay their bills because of the pressures of life? It's mounting. So how are you coping with the situation that you find yourself in? But Jesus Christ seeing the times in which we find ourselves in today, he said these words recorded in Matthew chapter 24, and we're looking at verses 33 through to 35. When you see all these things, said Jesus, know that it is near, what's the next words there? Even at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. When we think about these words of Jesus Christ here, outlined um, in Matthew 24, we see that there are a number of signs which Jesus identifies, which warn people that civilization as we know it today is going to come to an abrupt end. End. And this world is going to change in such a remarkable way that people living today will not recognize what our, looks, our world looks like in 10 years' time. It's no wonder that Mark Twain said these words. He says, It's no wonder that truth is stranger than what? Truth is stranger than fiction. Fiction has to make what? Fiction has to make sense and the world that we find ourselves moving into the earth's future is going to be strange to us friends let's not make any mistakes about it let's let's not confuse anything here it's going to be foreign it's going to be alien to us and it will happen very very quickly it'll come upon us very very quickly but in verse 34 Jesus said those were these words he said assuredly I say to you that the generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place so what does Jesus say here in verse 34 of Matthew 24 he says this he says those who see these things we'll see the great climax of this world as we know it. They will see the end of this world. So the generation that views all these changes that Jesus says are outlined in Matthew 24 and elsewhere, he says that generation will see the end of the world as we know it. The Bible gives us many signs that warn us 
that the current state of affairs that we see in our world today are preparatory to the great climatic and, and cataclysmic events which will usher in the events which will bring us to the end of this world as we know it. Now I'm going to say that again. The Bible warns us that the events that we see happening in our world today are preparatory for the great cataclysmic events which will bring us to the end of this world as we know it. Now that's a big statement I know, but we only have to think about what the Bible says about the last days we live in. And in fact, the Bible gives us many signs that show us that our world is changing and it's changing very, very quickly. Therefore, the question that I want to ask you is are we living in the end times? Well, it all depends on how you define the phrase end times. Now, we've already read from Matthew chapter 24, and I want to go to some of the earlier verses there. We looked at some of the later verses, but I want to look at some of the earlier verses in Matthew chapter 24 there, because the disciples have asked Jesus, they said, Lord, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Some translations say the end of the world. And then what Jesus does, he gives an explanation of what people in the last days could expect to see as they, that last generation living in the last days. Now, let's continue on. We're looking at Matthew chapter 24 and verse 6. We've got the text on the screen now. And in Matthew 24, Jesus says this. He says, and you shall hear of what? Wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. Jesus says, for all these things must come to pass. But what are those last six words there? But the end is not yet. Jesus says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And you have to ask yourself, is that true today? Are we seeing this in our world today? Are there wars? Are there rumors of wars? Well, we only have to go to Iraq or Iran, Afghanistan. We only have to go to the continent of Africa, North Africa, Egypt, Libya, these places in the world. Almost wherever we drop a pin, we can see that there is either, it's either a potential point of conflict or conflict is happening at that place in the world. And what about Russia? and the battle over the Ukraine. You know, the world shows us that the nations are angry today. There's tension, and it seems that people are bristling. They're ready to launch, you know, some sort of terrible weaponry upon each other. And what's holding it all back? Well, the Bible says here that you'll expect to see, uh, see wars and room of, of wars. But what does Jesus say in the last part of that verse? He says, but the end is not yet. Now, somebody here may say, well, you know, Rod, we already have had situations like that in past history. In fact, this could be talking about any time in history, but no. It can't. The words of Jesus here are particularly focused on the last generation because in previous world wars, let's face it, in even in the world wars, the theatre of battle was restricted to uh, specific areas in the globe. But today we, ha we see incredibly, incredibly powerful weaponry in the hands of a powerful few with the effect that it could have cataclysmic events. 
You only need to have a military exchange in the Northern Hemisphere and that's the end of the world. Down here in Australia, in Melbourne, beautiful Melbourne, we will feel the effects of all that. Oh no, Jesus is not talking about any time in history. Jesus is talking about the times in which we're living now. There's no denying it. Let's read on now in Matthew 24 verse 7. For nations shall rise against what? And kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquake in diverse or earthquakes in different places. But notice what verse 8 says now. It says, all these are the what? They're the beginning of sorrows. If verse 6 aptly applies to what we see happening in the world today, we have to admit, we'd have to recognize that verse 7 is also identifying the time, <coughs> excuse me, in which we live t- today. With not only sovereign nations' borders being breached, bringing about incredible calamity on huge Uh, scales and and human misery on vast scales but humanity is also suffering the effects of the natural unwinding of the world in which we find ourselves the 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 environment is being affected by the way we live we see that the world is unwinding if you like our earth is decomposing before our very eyes and the limits and effectiveness of modern medicine are further underscored today by the prevalence of diseases that medicine is scratching its head over now with the uh, certain strains of influenza and the like science is not able to do that medical science is not able to deal with the challenges that they see happening in these areas and the ancient scourges once thought dead seem to be coming back as well you know Today we read of the return of polio, we read of rickets, we read of whooping cough, of measles, just to name a few. More strains of untreatable viruses are multiplying and medical science is, at, is, is scratching its head how it can actually deal with it. But Jesus said, it's not the end. These, this is only the beginning. It's the beginning of sorrows, meaning this is only the beginning of the early labor pains which are going to come upon the earth as men and women respond to what they see in the world. And instead of responding back to God, what do people do? People are moving further away from God. And, and as a consequence, moral and ethical values are being swept aside and the changes are happening at such an incredible rate. And so as we witness with our very eyes, as community after community, as family after family, as individual after individual turns their backs on God and places themselves more under the control of Satan's malicious attacks. Having removed themselves from the protection of God, they bring about a period known as the time of sorrows. Let's move on now, because to read, I want to read now the description of society and societal norms. You know, what is expected? What does the Bible say that society may look at? Now, when people look at this, this picture at times, they laugh, they snicker. But the question that you have to ask yourself is, what is it that caused this young woman to do this to herself? What sort of an upbringing did she have that caused her to do this? That's a question. What set of parental influence uh, was in her life? What happened to her? Who interfered with her? What happened there that she would turn out like this? So let's have a look 
at the influence that the community is going to have on the family unit and as a result affect the stabilizing role the family has within the wider community. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 to 5, the Apostle Paul who is the writer of the book of Timothy, he says this, this know also that in the last days, what? What does it say there? That in the last days perilous times shall come. It says for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affliction, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traders, traders, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. The Apostle Paul is the writer of this letter to Timothy. And here Paul describing the rise of self and the rejection of the family. Now, we don't have to do any mental gymnastics. We don't have to stretch our mental faculties here to, uh, to find out what period of time the Apostle Paul was talking about in this letter to Tim- Timothy, because he says, in the last days, perilous times shall come. And uh, the first clear fact that we have here is that this world is not going to continue on infinitum despite what the populist opinion is. The reality is, as the Bible says, our world is going to have a definite end. And it will end. And it will happen sometime after the vast majority of men and women measure their behaviour against the lowest common denominator, that will be society at large, which has become and will become indifferent and even resistant to the common courtesies of life and natural acts of affection. Even society at large will despise those people who are trying to protect the family unit, those people who are trying to protect society itself. And uh, 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 they will find themselves fighting against those people who want to destroy the family unit. And this is exactly what we see happening today. The family unit, biblically described as a marriage between a man and a woman, capable of bringing forth children into this world. However, because the vast majority of reasonable thinking people will be silenced, will be gagged by the demands and threats of vocal lobby groups, the profligate and the avaricious will have the government, the ear of government officials. And we see this happening in our great country even today. The average person preferring to remain uh, or protecting themselves so they're not labelled out of step, step with the current trend of co- uh, contemporary society are being gagged, are being silenced. They're being sh- told that they're ignorant. They're being told that they're narrow-minded. Sadly, the Bible warns that the silent majority will themselves eventually become contaminated by the corruption of this uh, rebellious and the immoral um, uh, culture in which they find themselves. The sure result is this, that not even children will be safe within a society like this because the profligate and the avaricious and the licentious and the humanist and the hedonist will be calling the shots. And so even children won't be safe because they find themselves brought up in a society where the whole society prefers 
the pleasure of, of, uh, of the things of this world rather than the authority and living under the direction of God and the Bible. The passage in Timothy, which we have read, 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, it's, it, it seems to be describing, for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, it seems to be describing a first glance at the terrible state of affairs, the immoral atrocities which the pagan Canaanites perpetrated upon each other and upon their children century after century as described in the book of Leviticus prior to the Israelites coming in and occupying the land under the generalship of Joshua around about 1450 BC. It seems to be describing that. Just read it in Leviticus 18 and other passages around there. Leviticus 11, I think the other chapter is terrible stuff Leviticus 20 as well terrible terrible stuff the Bible describes there but in fact it's actually describing the world in which we are bringing our children up into when we are silenced by the vocal claims of these uh, minority groups when we succumb to secularists when we succumb to materialists libertines and the licentious and we in effect what we do is we weaken the family structure the corollary being we weaken society itself we should not imagine that these things happen in a vacuum the distrust the hostility and the fear felt between the nations is a reflection of the distrust the hostility and the fear that is beneath the veneer of respectable conformity within our communities and families today. As we reflect on this prophecy found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 to 5, we have to admit that the passage seems to be describing a godless world, a world that's turned its back on God, that moral and ethical values are out the window, a godless world. We have to say that that's what it's describing, but in all honesty, we also have to admit it seems to be describing the very world that we are shaping for ourselves and our children today. Would you agree? What about the churches in the last day? How will their role impact the sorry state of society? Let's turn to our next text now. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and we're looking at verses 2 to 3. Here, the Apostle Paul, again, speaking, uh, writing this letter to Timothy, says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will endure, not endure what? What does it say there? Sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. When Paul uses the term sound doctrine there, he is referring to God's word where there are no contradictions, the source of all truth and guidance. And it's in this book that the Holy Spirit most powerfully communicates with us. But in order for the world, in order for the Western world to be controlled 
to become the enchanted ground of demonic activity, then this book, the Bible, has to be, has to be completely set aside as naught. It has to be replaced with the traditions of men by the teachings of councils rather than sticking to the authority of God's Word. And by, by and large, what we see happening in the church today is that it is being rejected. The Bible is being rejected by the largest churches and denominations in our great land. The Apostle Paul says that Christians will reject the Bible and they will follow the fables and the teachings of men for their own entertainment, not because it is the truth, but because it does not awaken a dormant conscience. Let's read on now. In Mark, the words of Jesus here, Mark chapter 7 and verse 7, How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So Jesus said, How be it in vain do they worship me, uh, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, for laying aside the commandments of God. Now, what are the commandments of God? Well, Jesus is referring to the Ten Commandments. So obviously the Ten Commandments were still important in Jesus' day. For laying aside the, the, the commandments of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such th like things you do. And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. Here Jesus is identifying the great test of loyalty for all those who claim the good name of Jesus Christ because will they obey what the Bible says or will they follow, obstinately follow what the majority is doing what, uh, at, to, at the expense of biblical authority? This is a question uh, that's being asked by Jesus here or this is a warning that Jesus is telling people of that people are happy to replace the clear teachings of the Bible with the traditions and and the teachings of men. However, did you catch the warning at the commencement of that passage? Jesus said that these people knowing what God's will is, their worship is in what? Their worship is in vain. Despite the pretense of claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus says their worship is in vain. It's all white noise. It doesn't mean a thing. Their prayers fall to the earth. These people who live in outright rebellion against God, they know what God wants them to do, but they live away from it despite the pretense of claiming to be Christians. Jesus says their worship is in vain. See, once a person continues in known disobedience, outright rebellion, transgressing against God's holy law and is unrepentant in their practice, they do harms to their very conscience because the Holy Spirit is prompting them, touching their, uh, their conscience, guiding them, trying to get people on the right track all the time. There's a word that we used to use, use many years ago. We don't use it so commonly now, but it's scruples. If a person is unscrupulous, it means that they've got no conscience. And the same thing happens here. People who ignore the prompting of the Holy Spirit, as he moves upon their conscience, their consciences are hardened, and Jesus says their worship is in vain. Now, it's bad enough. It's bad enough uh, when 
we see uh, individuals, uh, isolated individuals ignore what the Bible says and so they're going to have, a, they, they accept a spirit of rebellion. They're just going to ignore it. But when that is permeated entire denominations, then those same denominations, having lost the, the, the God-given power that comes from accepting the Bible as authoritative and which distinguishes them in years gone by from man-made institutions, have become of the same base material as the latter because of their rejection of the Scripture itself. This is where we find ourselves today with the majority of churches, with the majority of denominations ignoring what the Bible says. The vital culture challenging power associated with faithfulness to God's word having disappeared have made these denominations nothing more than social sounding boards. This is where much of the blame rests for the fall of the Western world. Did you realize that? Yes, it's from the churchmen, it's from those of holy orders, it's from the pastors, the priests, because they've turned their backs on God and they're preaching and teaching things to um, encourage people to social conformity. But what do they have to offer? They have nothing to offer society but empty platitudes laced with banal instruction, uh, encouraging people to social conformity. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God's people are to challenge society. They're not to be immersed in society. They're to be different, not weird, but they are to live ethical, moral lives, which is what we do not see happening in our world today but Jesus warns because they've substituted the teachings of God for the traditions of men their their house is left unto them desolate desolate of the presence of God which is a reference to their churches they've been left desolate of the presence of God and that's why in so many churches today you hear so much loud music you see so much hype you hear people waving their arms and standing on chairs because the spirit of God is no longer there and they are substituting the spirit of God for all the parting that one would expect to see in a modern nightclub today. So this is the sorry state of affairs in Christendom. Not only are we losing our moral compass, but those responsible for being the watchmen, the shepherds, the custodians of the truth have left, have left their responsibilities behind and have been swept away uh, emphasizing social conformity and we're talking about the bishops we're talking about the priests we're talking about the pastors the ministers the reverends all these people and today they give their, their they don't give a strong clear distinct sound from the scripture and this is why the churches and western society is in the condition that it is today It is in this milieu that the world finds itself in that it becomes primed for a series of extraordinary events, supernatural happenings which will see the rise of a new world order which will forever change the relationship between the Western governments and the Christian church. The book of Revelation has long been viewed as a closed book filled with symbols too difficult and too cryptic for even the most brilliant theologians to grasp. 
fact beyond the ken of the average person. The book of Revelation has been preached and taught and instructed uh, in such a way that it's a closed book. You can't understand it. There's nothing in there for, for you whatsoever. But what we have to understand is that the golden rule when it comes to interpreting the symbolic chapters of the Bible is we allow the Bible to interpret itself. Does that make sense? We, we avoid the temptation at all costs of going outside the Bible. We just simply allow the symbols in the Bible to be explained by other passages in the Bible. In other words, we allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. We find the meaning of those symbols within the pages of Holy Writ. And as I said, we allow the Bible to do the talking. Just as I finish, remembering our topic is on amazing Bible forecasts, what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time in the book of Revelation, just as we touch on this subject now, and we're going to commence at Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1. Here we go. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1. So John, in vision, says this. This is the Apostle John, not John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been dead for over 60 years by this point in time. This is the Apostle John, the beloved disciple. It says, And as I stood upon the sand of the sea, I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having what? Having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. Now, we're going to pause for a moment before we go on. Here, we've just read that John says, in, says that he saw in vision, he saw a, saw a beast coming up out of the sea. Now, again, the golden rule is we allow the Bible to interpret itself. So if we were to go back to the book of Daniel, and we're going to do it now, turn back to the, if we were to turn back to the book of Daniel, though I've got the text on the, on the screen for us, it helps us to understand what this beast may represent. It says in Daniel chapter, 17, chapter 7 and verse 17 and 23, those great beasts, which are four, are what? Are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on each. So what on the earth? So what we see here is in Bible prophecy, a beast represents a kingdom. It could be a secular kingdom or it can be a religious kingdom. Now the Bible says here that this beast comes up out of the sea. So let's find out what, it, what, the, words, uh, what, what the sea represents. Again, we're sticking to the Bible, but this time we're going to Revelation chapter 17 and verse 15. And it says this, And he said unto me, The waters which you saw where the horse sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. John says that this beast which could be a secular power, it could be a religious power, comes up out of the populated areas of the world. Now, when we think about using beasts uh, uh, symbolically, we do the same thing today. We say that the, uh, the, uh, the bald eagle represents the United States of America. We say that the lion represents England. We say that the cocky rooster represents France, which it does. And then we say that the kangaroo represents what country? It represents us, doesn't it? It represents us. So what we're doing is just copying what God had already put into place. 
thousands and thousands of years ago in describing countries, nations, kingdoms and the like as a beast of some description. But let's continue on now. So we see this beast. We don't know if it's a religious power. We don't know if it's a secular power. Comes up out of a populated part of the earth. But in Revelation 13 verse 3 it says, And I saw one of his heads as if it were wounded to what? wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and what does it say there all the world wondered after the beast so revelation 13 verse 3 says that this beast and we're not going to in all the detail of uh, this beast and who it is that will happen at a later time but it's identifying some sort of a power but then it says that all the world will wonder after that power so not just one part of the world not just part of Europe or not just part of Africa or not just part of Asia the Bible says that all the world will wonder after this beast power and then in verse 8 it says and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In this passage that we have read, the prophetic utterances warn us that the time will come when a, when a power of some description. Now, we now, now know that it's a religious power because it says, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him so this is a religious power that it's talking about here and it comes up out of a populated part of the world it tells us that it has a wound but the deadly wound has been healed and all the world marvels after this religious entity whatever it is and the situation becomes so compelling as it says in verse 8 here that all the world will bow down to it however if you read this passage a little more closely and we don't have time to unpackage it fully today or tonight, what you will actually discover that this power is actually an enemy of God. It's an enemy of God's people. It is not a, fr a friend of the true Christian at all. But I also want to add this, that it is not Islam. What did I say? It is not Islam. You may ask, how can I believe or how can you believe what the Bible says? How can I trust it? How can we trust these prophecies regarding the future events? Well, it is, a, it is simply by taking stock of the hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that we see in the past that have been fulfilled in the past and with that preponderance of evidence that gives us courage and hope and a full faith that we know that the bible when it talks about future events they too will become a reality because the bible is god's um, inspired world but the bible warns us that things are going to change and they're going to happen very very quickly and the question that i want to ask you now is how are you going to handle these changes and what decisions are you going to make whether you're a business person or a student a retired person Whatever your position, your age or your nationality, God is pleading with you through the Holy Spirit and through his word that you become serious about your purpose in life. Life is not just a party. 
Life is not just to covet everything and everyone that comes into your reach. Life is serious. And the reality is that this life is only a small part of reality. There's a whole other reality that we're going to be exposed to. But what we see is 2,000 years ago, in a mighty way, God inserted himself into this world through the life the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament warned that he was coming. And what was once prophecy, that is a looking forward to events, we now know and recognize that they are fulfilled prophecies. But the Bible also tells us that in the future, God is going to insert himself into this world. But it's the New Testament this time that gives us the prophecies that underscore the reality of that. And not only the prophecies that we've looked at tonight, but also the prophecies and others that we will explore through these presentations. And the great... And these signs are the great precursor of cataclysmic events which will usher in the end of this world as we know it. However, there is just one more thing that I want to share with you just before we finish. Just one more thing. It won't take long. And that's this. The Bible warns us about placing dates on end time events. We're not to do it. The Bible warns us about identifying the time exactly, the date in which Jesus Christ will return. The Bible warns us about setting dates regarding the cataclysmic events which are to come upon this world. I want you to notice what Jesus says here in Mark chapter 13, verse 32. He says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son but only who? But only the Father. Jesus says that no one should say that he will return on this and that date. Does anybody remember this man? This man's Harold Camping. A number of years ago, he prophesied that Jesus Christ or the end of the world was going to happen. Judgment Day was coming on March 21st, 2011. But we're still here. You remember the movie on the Mayan calendar? I think it was called The Day After Tomorrow or something, some such movie. But nevertheless, there are all those prophecies which, uh, which people believed and interpreted from the Mayan calendar that was to show that the end of the world was coming on the 21st of December 2012. But we're still here. I'm old enough. I'm old enough to remember the prophecies of Nostradamus just prior to the year 2000. And he was interpreted and read to say that this world in which we end, uh, live would end on July 1999. And the media with all the end time specials were all quoting the following passage now. And this is the passage they were quoting. In the year 1999 and seven months, from the sky will come a great and frightening king to revive the great king of, Mon of Mongolians before and after Mars reign in good time. July 1999 was the month and the year that Nostradamus was supposed to have had, that 16th century enchanter Nostradamus was predicted that the arrival of the king of terror would come. Well, I have to let you know, and I think you already know this, that the king of terror never showed up. He just didn't eventuate at all. And what about the king of the Mongols? Well, 
everyone was scratching their head after July 1999 about the king of the Mongols. It was all just fluff and bubbles, just hype mixed with a little hysteria to sell movie rights, to sell books, magazines, videos, etc., etc. You see, the Bible gives us clear signs which alert us that the end is coming but does not give us the exact time. So beware of those individuals who, who, who identify dates for the second coming of Christ or the end of the world. Beware of those cults such as the Jehovah's Witnesses who can constantly set dates to scare people into their clutches. Do not believe them. Do not trust them because the Bible is clear. You can trust the Bible and the Bible says that nobody knows the day nor the hour. Now, what have we learned tonight? What have we learned? We've learned a number of things. We've noticed that the Bible identifies the very generation in which we are living today. Would you say you agree with that? Would you put up your hand if you agree with that? There are a number of passages that we see within the Scripture that seem to be talking about the world that we live in today, which are the precursors to the cataclysmic events which will usher in the end of this world as we know it. That's what we've seen. We've also seen as we've looked at Revelation, we haven't even studied Revelation, but we've just touched on Revelation, that the book of Revelation warns that there would be a religious power which will dominate the entire world and the whole world largely will wander after it and worship it these are the things that we've just learnt from tonight but there's more to come because next week what we're going to be doing in our next session is called evidence which proves the bible is true now i've stated certain things i've read certain things from the bible but next week next Next time we're together, we are going to see clear evidence that the Bible is God's inspired word and that these prophecies will be a reality. So I don't want you to miss that. I want you to all be here and invite your friends. Now, remember, as you go out tonight, you're going to receive a little memory stick, a USB stick. On that, you'll have this full presentation that I am sharing with you tonight. So you're going to get that along with a detailed handout of this presentation and also a study on this topic that we looked at tonight. So make sure you get those things. And with the little memory stick which has this video presentation, share it with your friends. Share it with others around you. Because you know what? The truth has nothing to fear from investigation. I want to thank you for being here tonight. Remember, we're going to be at the same place, same time next week, and I look forward to seeing you then. Thank you, everyone. God bless and safe travel. This message was made available by the Orchard Melbourne Central City Church. For more resources like this, visit theorchardmelbourne.org.au. You've been listening to Go Teach All Nations here on 3ABN Australia Radio. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, 
you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 61 2 4973 3456. Our email address is radio at 3abn That is radio at the number 3abn Australia, all one word, dot org dot au. Our postal address is 3abn Australia Inc., PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264, Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Casey Butler, and I am here today to share with you some personal experiences that I've had with God. Have you ever heard of stories where people who have not grown up in a Christian environment come to the point in their life where they question, is God real? Is he out there? Does he care about me personally? I've heard a number of stories like that. People just get to the point where they feel a void in their life and they long for for something more they are convinced there must be something greater and so they they question is God real and they start seeking after God and many of them find him I've also heard of a number of stories too where people who have grown up in a Christian environment where they know all about God they've learned so much as of in their their childhood stories about Jesus and and many different experiences they also come to the point where they question, is God real? Does he care about me personally? I was one of those people. I grew up in a a Christian environment and um, went to church every week for as long as I can remember. And I studied the Bible every day and prayed and did all of those devotional kind of things. And yet I came to the point in my life where I ask that very question is God real does he care about me personally I wanted an experience that wasn't just head knowledge because I've grown up understanding and knowing so much about God and yet it just seemed like something was missing in my heart I I just felt something was was not right I, I wanted to know that God was real that his love for me was 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 personal and, and went right to my heart and I didn't have that so I prayed I began praying to God for a deeper experience I, I prayed that he would that he would show me Jesus that he would give me an appreciation of his love for me and he answered my prayer in some interesting ways one of the most significant situations that happened to me was I was unexpectedly, I guess, sort of thrown into a difficult circumstance and I couldn't control it. I had nothing that I could do in the situation to control it except for pray. And so immediately I began praying just in my head, in my thoughts, just asking God for very specific things to help me in that particular situation. And what was astonishing to me was right before my very eyes God answered every detail 
of the prayer that I prayed in my mind. I hadn't spoken it out loud or anything. And I was just blown away. In fact, I I pondered that God had answered every detail like that right before my eyes, right in that instant of need for months. It just got right to my, my heart that who am I that God would even recognize every thought and go about answering it. And I knew that in order for him to answer those, the things that I'd asked for, he had to send angels from heaven um, and he had to just work in the circumstances I was in in a powerful way to be able to accomplish what I'd asked for just in the spur of the moment and in my need. So I I just for months was thinking, why me, Lord? (laughs) Why did you do that for me? Like, yeah that just that really did something in me but there was more that God did in my life like that was one experience but during this time where I was I was seeking to know if God's real I had some other experiences as well and one of them was I was out in the garden um, actually in the, the orchard that is at our home and I was pondering Christ's sacrifice for me and I was really struggling to appreciate it. I could, like I knew it all in theory, but, and I was thinking about it, but it just didn't seem like it, I appreciated it in my heart. And I was trying hard to appreciate it. I was praying to God, wanting to, to understand what he, you know, what he'd done for me and, and have it mean something deeper. And as I walked, I was walking back up to the house and I came across just in the particular path that I went at my feet was a red and black feather and as soon as I saw it I just I just picked it up quickly and I was just amazed immediately amazed because this feather was the tail feather of a glossy black cockatoo it's a cockatoo that we have here in New South Wales uh, in Australia, and it um, it's a sort of a threatened species. So, to be able to find a feather from this this bird that was you know all black with a a patch of red in it was just like so rare. And um, I, I'm a bit of a bird watcher. I like to see wild birds, native birds and um, identify them and keep a list, a record of all the different species that I've seen. So I knew as soon as I saw this feather that it was something special. And as soon as I saw it, it just, it touched me. I thought, wow, because in light of what I had just been thinking about, I had been thinking about Christ's sacrifice for me. And here, this feather, it was, you know, black with red. And to me, it was saying, God was saying to me, my my blood, the blood of my sacrifice, symbolized by the red color of the feather, was on top of the black on the feather, which is like Christ's blood covers my blackness, the blackness of my sin and, and the evil in my heart. And that, just the fact that God used the feather and that showed me that he knew my interests, he knew my passions, he knew what I loved and enjoyed about nature and life. The fact that he used that at that moment, that got deep in my heart too. And I realized that, wow, God knows me. He cares for me. 
he knows my struggles he knows how I'm seeking him and what I'm wanting to know about him and how and how I'm wanting to know he is real so God responded um in that way because when I was walking back up to the house I could have walked like two meters across from the actual direction that I took and I probably would have missed the feather altogether but the fact that I happened to walk directly in the path of where that feather was it was just amazing to me so that was another experience that I pondered and, and treasured for a while because it it really said something to me spiritually about God and you know as I've had experiences like this and God has answered my prayers he's helped me know that he's real he's worked in real ways in my life that's just an experience that's meaningful between me and God I have realized and began to appreciate deep in my heart that God is real and that he cares about me personally and since I've had those experiences my walk with God has been filled with a lot more peace because I've had an experience that was not just all head knowledge it's gone right to my heart and this has given me a lot more confidence in God and it's interesting you know there there are Bible writers also who've had similar experiences like this where they just realize how much God knows them and how real he is and I want to read from Psalm 139 because this expresses this thought This is a psalm of David, and he says this, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me. Thy right hand shall hold me. So here David is expressing this very thing that God, he knows all about him, what he's doing, where he is, and he cannot flee from God's presence. And this just shows how much God knows and cares for us individually, personally. He knows where we are. And I pray that wherever you are today, wherever you are, in your connection with God, you may be seeking for a deeper experience with God. You may be seeking to know that He is real in your life. You may have grown up knowing God. You may have grown up not knowing anything about God, but you may be still in that position of wondering, is God real? So I am here to say that I have found in my life God is real. And I know that when we seek Him with all our heart, we will find him and he will make himself known to us. So it is my prayer for you today that God will work in your life and that you will know that he is real and that he loves you and cares for you personally. God bless you.
This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.